in a series, a four-part series we're calling Chasing the American Dream. Would you say that with me? Chasing the American Dream. And, uh, you know, I was meeting uh, with some of our leaders the other day, and a couple, if if you come to church here regularly, a couple months ago, I said, hey, listen, we're going to be a shout-back church, okay? You're not going to sit there and just look at me like this, you know, we're going to be people who preach back and say amen, praise, yeah, right. And so it was was Daniel Blanco, he goes, pastor, he says, listen, I know you said to do that, but the problem is you preach so fast that by the time I'm about to say amen, you've already started saying something else. And I can't even keep notes. He says, so I'm having to take pictures of the screen for your notes. So I'm going to try to slow down a little bit, all right? Jesus Christ is Lord. (laughs) Thanks, Daniel, for helping me. (laughs) He's like, Pastor, you got to slow down. I was like, yeah, all the international folks tell me the same thing. But uh, as we jump in today, let me just kind of give you a, a little quick review. We started this series calling it the Chasing the American Dream. We started it from the premise that what we or way we view the American dream now as simply acquiring as much stuff as we can get or, you know, you know, living, you know, as wealthy as we can make ourselves is not actually the original American dream. We went back to 1776 when our founding fathers declared what the American dream was, that God created all men equal and gave us these unalienable rights to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. That God himself created us equal. That the color of our skin, the family background, the education, our age, none of that has to do anything in reference to how God created us. We are equal in God. And our founding fathers put that in the declaration as this is what America is. That we can pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And last week I broke down the truth that those Three major pursuits that they did not come from some Eastern religion. They didn't derive, those founding fathers didn't make that up after watching Veggie Tales. The founding fathers got those three truths out of the Holy Scriptures life, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Liberty, Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. Happiness, and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. All the founding fathers did was look through the scripture and say, what is God's dream for humanity? Because that's our dream for the United States. And friend, I want you to know something. So as we use the verbiage, chasing the American dream, what we're chasing is God's plan and dream for us. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what we're after. Somebody say amen. So as we jump into that today, if you missed last week's, go back and listen to the podcast. You can get, catch it on our website. It's really good. But as we go in today, I've titled this part two, God's supernatural power working for us. Would you say that with me? God's supernatural power working for us. We're going uh, to be delving more into the finances and income today and money. And, uh, and I know that can make a little people, uh, some people, excuse me, not little people, uh, some people, uncomfortable. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is there are 500 scripture verses in the Bible about prayer. There are 500 verses in the Bible about faith. But there are over 200 verses in the Bible about money and finances. Jesus spoke 36 parables. Excuse me, 38. Jesus spoke 38 parables 16 of them were about money. The point being, 
is that God is directly concerned about finances and money in reference to his people. And so today as we jump into this teaching and into this truth, I know for some of you it's going to be a little tough. It's going to be a little bit, uh, it, it'll be a little bit, you know, push on some of the buttons. Those of you that don't know me very well, don't know our church a little bit, it's going to challenge your, um, your uh, vantage point of who you think we are. But if you'll stay with us, you'll learn the truth of our sincerity about the things of the Lord. And so today as we jump in, I want to start with this whole concept that God's supernatural power working for us. You hear a lot in Christendom the word blessed. Everybody say blessed. You hear people write books about the best life you could have right now. You hear people talk about it on Christian television. We're blessed. You see the bumper sticker, blessed. You see, the, you know, you see, you see, you, you see people on the t-shirts, I'm blessed. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just want to go, Bleh! I'm just tired of hearing it. It's like, you know, it's like everybody's, quote, blessed. Well, but the truth of the matter is that that is a, a, a verbiage that God uses in his holy scriptures. And let me tell you how the Lord uses it. We'll put it up on the screen. Bless means having supernatural power working for you. So when God uses that term blessed in the scriptures, I will bless you. What he's saying is my supernatural power is going to work on your behalf. Many times, it's in reference to finances, resources, income. As well, the word curse in Scripture many times means having supernatural power working against you. So let's look at Psalms chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, For surely, our Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. God, surely you bless. You put your supernatural favor on those who follow you, those who are righteous, those who love you. And you literally cause your favor to protect around those as a shield. Friend, I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. Somebody say amen. I want the supernatural favor of God upon my life, especially when it comes to leading, when it comes to being a husband, when it comes to finances and money and income. I want supernatural faith. I want God's hand in it, showing me, leading me, protecting me from my stupidity, watching over all the ignorance of my life. Can I explain something to you? I have been a man who's been committed to the Lord since I was a young teenager. God taught me his truths and his ways. And can I tell you something? I have seen his blessings on my life every every year of my life years ago during the economic uh, downturn jamie and i lost two houses we were we were we were investing in multiple homes we lost two houses uh, uh, more than thirty thousand dollars each house and then and at the same time god surrounded us blessed us they didn't take the home we were living in away from us because we were overextended. When the economic downturn hit, we lost everything, every bit of our life savings, every bit of our credit. All of it went away. But can I tell you, in the midst of that, God's supernatural hand was upon us. We didn't lose our home. Our children didn't go without food. They, we didn't live on the streets. Our cars, we got to keep driving them. Our jobs kept working. God kept moving in our lives. Friend, let me tell you something. When God is for you, who can be against you? I want his supernatural power at work in my life. No matter how stupid I am or how many mistakes I make, I need his power to fix it all. Somebody ought to say amen right there. 
And so today, I want to help you understand how you and I can get, release his supernatural power into the areas of our life, specifically today in reference to finances. And so I've got a little piece that I want to show you about how God supernaturally cares about finances and money and how he does crazy miracles to provide even when it makes no sense. And so let's look at this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 27. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 27 is this moment where Jesus and his disciples have come into the city and the temple tax collectors pull Peter aside and say, does your master not pay the temple tax? The yearly tax that you're supposed to pay? And Peter's like, oh yeah, 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 we're going to pay it. And later Jesus pulls Peter aside because he knew about the conversation. He says, Peter, I'm the Messiah. Should I have to pay a tax to myself? Do I tithe to myself? No, but so that we don't offend him. Let me tell you, we're going to pay it. Let me tell you what to do. And let's pick up right there in Matthew chapter 17, verse 27. He says, but so that we do not offend them, go to the lake. Here's your business model. You ready? Go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four-drop coin, a year's worth of taxes for you and me. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Let that just settle for a moment. Jesus says, hey, I got a solution for the fact that we don't have the money for this. Go fishing, catch a fish, and in that fish's mouth is all the year's taxes that you and I owe. Go pay it. Now, I know that sounds so neat, but as you, as you look at this passage, there's nothing before that, that explains anything more. There's nothing after this passage that says more explanation. I have questions. I have questions about this. My first question is, how did the coin get in his mouth? I mean, think about that. Well, I mean, was he just floating around one day, you know, like Ellen, you know, and, and, and like, I want to eat that gold shiny thing and sucks down a piece of metal? How many fish do that? I mean, when's the last time you caught a fish with a couple hundred dollars in its belly? How cool would that be? I mean, imagine, how did the money get in the water? How, how did, where, 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 did the ship crash and there's tons of silver coins down on the bottom and this fish just decided to eat one because he thought it was a lobster? I don't, how, how, did he, how, did, how did he get down in? How did the coin get there? Where, was some guy skipping rocks, you know, and he reached down in his pocket thinking it was a rock, but it was a drachma like, oh, snap, skip, 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 skip. I mean, how, how, how did that happen? Not only that, but how did Jesus know it was there? Did he see it? Because he sees all the fish and everything that's inside of them? Did he have a word? And it just, because he spoke it, it came to pass? And somehow a, a coin grew in that fish's stomach, in its mouth? Did, did, did Jesus, uh, you know, how, how did he know Peter was even going to catch something? How many times you been fishing and hadn't caught nothing? How did he know that out of all the fish that are swimming around Peter's bait, that one was going to eat? that hook and be pulled up and be ready to have that in his mouth. Poof. Everybody say supernatural. They needed money. And so Jesus said, let me do a little something supernatural. Go fishing. And inside the fish's mouth, you'll find everything we need to pay our taxes. Friend, I'm going to tell you right now, that's the kind of supernatural works I need in my money. I'm going to tell you that right now. Some of you guys are entrepreneurs and businessmen and women, and you need God to give you supernatural understanding on supernatural breakthrough things to happen. Because when that happened, can you now imagine Peter? He catches that thing. He's like, can you imagine? He pulls it out. He's like, oh God, oh God, is it really going to work? I hope he's right. And I'm like, wow, pow! 
I mean, was it right there? Was it halfway down his throat? Did he have to shake it out? I mean, how did this thing come to pass? Can you imagine? He brings it up. It's all slimy and says, here's our taxes. God bless you. Deal with that. And the guy's like, oh, my God. Where's it been? A fish's mouth. Because everything we need is in the... Why did he not start a fish, fish catching coin collection ministry? I mean, you and I would have, like, made a doctrine out of it or something. It's a miracle. Everybody say miracle. We need miracles in our finances, in our operations of these things of this world, and things of the life that we're dealing in. And today, I want to teach you the three functions. We're going to cover in this series three functions of obedience that releases God's supernatural power in our lives. Three functions of obedience that releases God's super. I know that sounds like a Christian television sermon, but I don't care that they've all misappropriated it. I've got to teach you truth out of the Word of God. There are three that I see clearly in Scripture. Number one, the first fruits are the tithe. Number two, gratitude. When you and I are walking in obedience and, 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 and gratitude towards what God is doing, supernatural things are released unto us. And the third one is stewardship. Some of you guys are like, I just pray for a miracle. God can't give you a miracle because you're so bad at stewardship, you'd lose the miracle. You know what I'm saying? He had to send Peter to catch a fish. He didn't send Matthew because Matthew's a tax collector. He's like, how am I going to get a fishing pole? Uh, what kind of bait should I use? Like, oh my God, where should I go? Where are the fish at? He sent Peter. Why? Because Peter could steward the situation. Right? And so we're going to learn about stewardship in this, in, this, in this series as well. But today we're going to focus on first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. You can do better than that. Say first fruits. All right, so we're going to go straight to our key scripture. Key scripture for this piece is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Remember, if you'll memorize all the key scriptures over 52 weeks of preaching, you'll have a great word source inside of you so that you can rightly appropriate the things of God. First and foremost, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflow. And how many of you guys want barns overfilled with overflowing? Some of you are already hoarders. You're trying to get rid of barns that are overflowing with stuff. <laughs> the, the insinuation here is not junk. It's good stuff, all right? That your barns, would, that you have so much that you can't hardly contain. Honor the Lord with your wealth. I'll say it again. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Years ago, as I got saved and, and, and God was working through me and uh, working in me, excuse me, working things out of me is what I was trying to say. As that started happening, I had a real problem with tithing and giving and that because I always felt like the preachers just, they wanted money. I was like, how they got nicer cars than us? They taking our money and getting rich up on all that junk right there. And so it really was a struggle for me until I became a real Christian and started reading the real Bible and I became a believer. So you can be a Christian and not be a believer. And so it was at that moment that I said, God, if it's in your word and it's of you, I believe it. I'm not going to fight with you about it anymore. I'm just going to walk in. And when I began to be a believer and started trusting God at his word, that's when I started to experience the supernatural. And I want to pass that on to you, our church. And so in this piece right here, he says, listen, if you will trust me with the first fruits, your barns will be overflowing. I had the hardest time with that. But I started learning in scripture that it was, that these terms, tithing and first fruits were almost synonymous. In fact, it started in the Bible with first fruits. Because they were an agricultural type of environment. Uh, when when, when uh, humanity was first starting out, you know, you didn't have businesses and you didn't have all the, They were just growing crops to survive. Animals were giving birth. And those were their, you know, their, their, if, if you will, you know, uh, the herds and things like that. And God brought, put into place the first fruits principle. He said, I want the first of everything you're blessed with. Everything that comes forward, I want the first of it. 
I had such a hard time with it, but then I got free from it. And I started preaching and teaching it. We started finding favor in our lives. Jamie and I were like, oh my God, everything we touch is blessed. We were faithful to the tithe, for, faithful to the first fruit. And I started teaching it around the nation. Uh, a couple years ago, Pastor Robert Morris came out with a book called Blessed Life, where he taught the same truth. Well, I didn't read it because I didn't want to read what everybody else was reading at the time. So I just waited. And, uh, and I picked it up a couple of weeks ago because, you know, I thought... Let's see what Pastor Robert has to say on the subject. And I started reading it, and it messed my life up. I'm like, you're preaching everything. You're doing it better than I do. That's bad. And so anyway, I want to encourage you that even some of the things that I'm going to be sharing today, I I stole out of his book, But the Blessed Life. I challenge all of you to pick it up, begin to read it. It'll change your life. You know, I don't normally pick up somebody's book and talk about it. But there's a couple excerpts in my message today that I I stole out of his book. And especially some of the pieces about first fruits. I'd already taught it, but he brought some pieces out that I'd never seen in Scripture. And so as we dive into the first fruits teaching, let me give you a couple key passages in scripture Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30 and he says it like this he says a tithe of everything from the land whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the everybody say it with me Lord belongs to the Lord it is holy excuse me it is holy to the Lord look at Exodus 23 19 bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. We don't have time to go through all the first fruit passages of Scripture. They're, the Bible is so rich with these passages where God's saying, look, first fruits are mine. First fruits are mine. First fruits are mine. And you've got a lot of argument in this hour. Well, that's an old covenant thing. That's before, that, you know, that's Old Testament. Let me, let me explain something. The first fruits principle that God put into place goes all the way back to the very beginning of humanity. And let's look at it here in book of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 2 through 7. As you, as you may or may not know, Adam and Eve are the first uh, man, man and woman on the planet. God created man, looked at him and said, not good that you're alone, boy. You should not be lonely. I'm going to take from you your rib and I'm going to make something gorgeous to make you go, whoa, man. Exactly. And the created woman and Eve. And so Adam and Eve lived and were given stewardship over the garden. They sinned against the Lord in rebellion. So he removed them from that garden. They went on to have children. We know of the three that we know of, uh, of Cain, Abel, and Seth. Cain and Abel being the two oldest. And in this passage in, the, in, in, in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel are bringing bringing forth their first fruits before the Lord. And the Lord is literally, if you will, I get a mental picture. He's standing there looking at it and evaluating it. And let's pick up there in in Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 7. It says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. He brought what? Some of the fruits of the soil. He didn't win. In a course of time. These are critical pieces. I'll explain them in a second. And as an offering to the Lord. But Abel. So, it, so the Bible is actually making a significant difference. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why, are you fa- why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So what transpires is, is Cain brings some of his harvest. He's brought in his entire harvest. He gets it all gathered, and he picks out some, and he brings it 
to the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, has his little flock, and all of a sudden, the firstborn is born. The first baby of the year. Woo! And he takes that baby, and he brings it before the Lord, and he kills it as a sacrifice before the Lord. And the Bible says God looked at what Abel did, and he looked at it with favor. He looked at what Cain did without favor. And Cain became frustrated, sad, downcast, and quite honestly became angry. And as a result of his anger, because of his disobedience, because of what he didn't do right, he gets angry, and his point of anger is not so much at God as it is about his brother who did right. And he goes out and he murders his brother. The first murder in human history was not because someone was misappropriated, not because someone was done wrong. It was because of jealousy and anger because of the person doing the murdering was mad at his own self and took it out on his brother who did right. Friend, listen to me. When we do right, God is pleased. When we don't, sin is crouching at the door trying to master us, but we must master it. And God looked at Cain and Abel's. Both brought great things before the Lord, but one was different than the other one. And the one that brought favor was the one that was done in obedience and it was the first of all that came forward that year. You've got to understand, God wants your first. He is the God of the first. You say, wow, I've never really heard that or had that talk. I, I know. Let me help you understand in our era, in our time of living, what the first looks like. And let's put up, so every day, you and I, excuse me, at the end of the month or twice, twice a month, every day we pay our bills. And for the most part, this is, we'll start on the left and move to the right. In order, this is probably your list of the most important to you. These are the bills that you pay first. I would imagine you pay your house note first. It's the most important. You may not go buy clothes this month, but you're going to pay your house note because you need a place to live. The second place probably that's important to you or or second in your value system that you pay is probably your car note. Then your utilities probably. You don't want to sit in the dark and you pay your, you want to be able to flush the toilet. You don't want it piling up. Then, then your insurance, because you know you somebody gonna hit you in Dallas, and so, and then. And then your cell phone, you know that one's right up there at the top. And, uh, and then the internet, because you've got to be connected to the World Wide Web. And then from there, you go buy food. And then you've got to have gas and you have clothes. And we don't even probably list the tithe up here. But here's what most Americans and most even Christians, this is their value system and what's important. Now, this is a little different from person to person. Like all of our single people. They, that maybe if they live in an apartment or something like that, they probably pay their apartment like further down. And the reason why is because they're single and they're going to live in their car anyway. And so they're not so concerned about paying their note at their apartment. If they get kicked out, they don't care. They'll go live with their parents and are still living at their parents' house at 45 years old. Anyway, and so, and so, and then some of you, you know, you say, oh, no, listen, I'll tell you the first thing. Some of y'all in this room, the first thing you pay is you pay that cell phone bill. I got to have my cell phone. That's the most important. I don't care if we have kids. We, don't need, we can live on the streets, but we got to have our cell phone. We got to have that connection. Some of you, that's the most important thing to you. Others of you, it's food. You know, like, listen, we don't have to have a house or a car, but we got to eat. And so, you know, every one of you probably listed a little bit different. But God says, what I want at the top of that list is me. Because I want to be first in your life. I want to be the most valuable. I want to mean more to you than the house, more than the car, more than the utilities, more than the cell phone, more than the food, more than the clothes, more than anything else. I want you to show me that I'm the most important thing in your life by giving me a tenth of everything 
right off the top. Because honestly, it's already mine anyway. Because I gave you the ability to go to work every day. It's me sustaining your brain that keeps trying to seep out the side of your ears. It's me that caused you to overcome cancer. It's me that got you that job in the first place. My hand upon your life. It's me who created you. And it's me who is sustaining you. And it's me who should be number one in your life. And this is the breakdown for most people. Is that we say God is a part of it. But he's not number one. And God says, I want to give you my supernatural favor working in everything but you must come into obedience by putting me first when it comes to your finances this is the first fruits teaching this is why it was so important we see it listed out in the law that each and every one of the Israelis should tithe that they should give a tenth that nothing can go ungiven that if you gave birth to a lamb that that first one had to be given first you say why why the first why is that so significant because friend let me explain something to you especially with an agricultural group We, we had peaches last year on our trees. Now, if you grow things, maybe you got tomatoes or whatever else you grow, you know that there are multiple growth moments. There are multiple harvest times. There's the first little group that comes out. And then, and then if you pick all of those, then you want to hold on to them because you don't know how much more is going to come afterwards. So God's saying, you take the first, whether anything comes after that or not, take the first and watch me. If you'll give me the first, I'll cause everything else to keep exploding. That's his plan. That's his plan. That's why we read that. He says, I want to bless you to the place where your barns are overfilled. I want to put my supernatural power at work on your behalf. But it starts with an obedience to a principle that I put in place. It's a principle of the first fruits. He goes all the way back to the beginning of history and puts this principle in place. It's not something new that preachers are doing so that they can get your money so they can drive big cars. Friend, you're not understanding scripture if that's your thought process. I was there. I was ignorant of what God really expected simply because I didn't trust the motives of the person delivering the message. And I want to help you with that because I want you to understand you need, I need his supernatural power at work in my finances, in my marriage, in my life. And disobedience causes the other powers to be able to be at work in my life, the curses, but obedience brings his blessing, power at work in my life. Are you there? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than I say yes. Oh, I love you so much. Now, all the time, I get challenged by people, especially, you know, hipsters, you know, last 15 years. Well, I don't really believe in tithing. Tithing was an Old Testament thing. Or, you know, or, 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 you know somebody who had, you know, a year of Bible school. Well, actually... Um, uh, see, actually, tithing was something for the Jews. I'm not a Jew. And not only that, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. There's a new covenant called grace, and I'm not under that. Again, I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just, that's how they communicate when they do it. They get this look about them. And I watched a podcast, and so-and-so said, that's awesome. What does the Bible say? Because I'm living based on what he said, not what someone interpreted him saying. And so let me help you with a little bit of those thought processes on whether or not tithing is relevant for today or was just supposed to be an Old Testament process or an old covenant that now has been done away with because there's a new covenant. Well, let's start with just that, path, that thought process right now. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and we'll skip down to verse 20 as well as we read it out. Jesus said it to this. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I would come to get, do away with the Old Testament. He said, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And if you'll keep reading that passage, you'll get down to verse 20, and he says it like this. He says, for I tell you, talking to us, new covenant people, for I tell you that unless your righteousness 
surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand that? Jesus is saying, listen, let me explain something to you. Listen, I'm not coming to do away with the law. I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit power to where you will not only fulfill the law, but you'll live so much above that. Listen, when I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, I didn't, I didn't have to go say, oh, the Bible says don't be an adulterer. I don't want to be an adulterer anymore. No, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I was so in love with Jesus. His power came into me. I didn't even want to look at a, a woman lustfully anymore. When the power of God comes in our life and we're serving him with all of our heart, we don't have to say, don't do this, don't do this, don't, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. I'm like, I'm not going to do that anymore way because I'm in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and his spirit is abiding in me and I know that that's right and I know that that's wrong and I don't want a part of that I want to live for his glory friend let me explain something to you Jesus is literally prophesying that when we come into Christ we will surpass what the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day were saying is expected we will surpass that because if we don't we're not even a part of his kingdom business that's what he's saying and he's dealing with this thing very clearly. So to say that that's Old Covenant versus New Covenant is foolishness. He said, you're going to surpass the Old Covenant. You're going to live. You're going you're gonna to fulfill. I'm not going to throw it out. I'm going to fulfill it to the completeness of it. And we're even going to go beyond that. That's why when the New Testament church had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, go look in Acts chapter 4, 5, 6, 7. They started bringing everything. Wasn't no temp. They're like, look, take it all. I just want God. Take it all. Come on, aren't you glad we don't have that kind of revival right now? I mean, they started laying it all at the apostles' feet because they're like, well, we got poor people in the church. They don't have any way to, to pay their bills. Let's, let's, here, I sold this land. I don't need it. Here, I got rid of my four-wheeler. I sold my boat. I just want, I want, I want you to be taken care of. That's not right that your husband died and you have no way to take care of your son. We're going to help put him through college. Come on, guys. And they started just bringing everything and laying it at the apostles' feet. Said, just take care of the people. Let's do it. That's what a real heart that gets touched by the power of God, that's the right response. And Jesus said, listen, let me tell you something. Y'all are going to surpass the Pharisees. Listen, you, you worried about, you know, if we're going to fulfill the law. I'm not doing away with the law. We're going to go past that thing. We're going to blow that out of the water because such is going to happen in our heart that it won't be a religious duty, right or wrong. It'll be God and his nature flowing through us. Isn't that good? Say yes. Here's the second concept that I would say about, well, that's an old covenant thing. I don't really think that, the, you know, we're under grace now. We don't have to do all that. Let me, let me explain something to you. The Old Covenant, the Ten Commandments, the law. Yeah, in the law, the Ten Commandments, rape, molestation, incest, stealing, adultery, they were all forbidden. So are you now saying that those things now that we're under a new covenant, they're all now appropriate? So, well, so that was part of the Old Covenant, along with tithing. That was the Old Covenant. That was, now we're under grace. and we're not, so, so I can go molest children now? That's okay, because I'm under grace. Grace. You'll have grace on me. I can be an adulterer as your pastor? It's grace, man. It's just grace, man. I just love Jesus, man. Wow. Why was that forbidden under the old covenant and not forbidden under the new covenant? Because it is forbidden. Why is that right in the Old Testament but not right in the New Testament? Listen to me, friend. Listen, listen. Those principles came right on through life. They're not, there's not a dividing point. That's old. That's new. No, no, no. That came right on through life. And so you can't use that argument as well. And the last thought that I would give you is this. is Matthew chapter 23 and 23 where Jesus is agitated with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they are not caring about people. They're not showing mercy and they're being, they're being, they're being um, two-sided. They're showing their friends. They're letting their friends have a little extra. But they're not letting heaven all the, the people that they're prejudiced against. Now you see prejudiceness. And Jesus rebukes them. 
And he says, look, you quick to give a tithe. You give your tithe this, you're faithful to tithing, 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 tithing. He said, but you don't show mercy and grace. He said, listen, you need to come back and show mercy and grace. Don't, don't stop doing the other piece. It's good that you're tithing. That's good. Jesus doesn't do away with tithing in that moment. He confirms that you need to do both. Show mercy and grace, but also be a tither. First fruits. Because God put this in place. This is a principle that went way before Moses. This is a principle. This is a part of God's plan so the supernatural can be upon our lives. Monday, Jamie and I were out in Arlington for something. And uh, I have a 09 Murano. I love my little Mur- Nissan Murano. I love it. It's an awesome little car. And we just got it paid for it. Come on, somebody. You know that feeling? Like, thank you, Jesus. So we're going down. We're coming down 360. We get to 20. And, you know, cars everywhere. Just as soon as I get on 20. And I'm, and I'm, I'm going kind of. I'm in the fast lane. And I'm, I'm, ro- I'm rolling. And I get a phone call from uh, uh, one of our pastors uh, at one of our churches. And they're really struggling. And, man, they have had just a demonic attack. And they start pouring out their heart. And I'm praying with them. We're crying together. And I mean, I'm, I'm doing 80, you know, down 20. And we're crying and praying together. And all of a sudden, and smoke just starts coming out from under the hood. And, and, uh, and, and I just, I'm like, and, and, and I said, oh, amen, amen, amen. And so I'm, I, the ga- it's gone. The engine's gone. I'm trying to get over through traffic. You know, cars are swerving all around me. And I'm trying to get to the shoulder. And Jamie's, you know, she's looking at me. She's like, shut up. I don't know what she's praying, you know. And, and smoke is all in the window. You can't see out the window and stuff. And, uh, and so we just sit there because she's looking at me like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I got to let him finish. So I'm like, oh, amen, amen. 20 minutes we sit on the side of I-20. Never sit on the side of I-20, dude. Those 18-wheelers are shaking my car every time they go past, you know, which is every second. I'm like, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And the car's like smoke. I'm like, we're on fire. We're on fire. And it's not holy fire. It's like, oh, my goodness. And so, uh, but I'm just, amen, amen, <laughs> amen, amen, amen. And so about 20 minutes, we sit there, no lie, ask Jamie. And so we finally, okay, and I pray with him, hang up, and, and she's like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. So I go out, and I pop the hood, and it's smoke. And I'm like, oh, snap. I'm not a mechanic. But I did stay at a Holiday Express last night, and so I know, no, I'm just, but I, but I know this is bad. And so I'm like, oh, man. And so I, look, I, I do what I can. I realize there's no water in the radiator. I could smell the radiator fluid, so I knew that we blew the radiator. But my hope was that we hadn't blown the engine because uh, it was hot. And, again, we lost compression. And so, uh, so I was like, I called my son. He brought me some water. We filled up the radiator. He's pouring out the bottom, just filling it, pouring out the bottom. I said, look, we, gotta, we, we can't afford a tow truck right now. We're pastors. And so, so let's try to get it back to Cedar Hill, and let's try to get it to the mechanic. So filled it with water. I drove it straight to the mechanic. You know, we get there. Smoke's coming out, all, all, out of it. And there's like, oh, wow. And our, our mechanic's a real trusted man. He's, he's done great things for us, he and his team. And so, so I left it with him. I told him what happened. He's like, ooh, okay. And, uh, and so he calls me the next day. He says, Mr. McCain. I said, yes. He goes, listen, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but we're about 90% sure that you, you blew, the head on, blew the head gaskets on that engine. I'm like, you got to be kidding. I mean, just get it paid for. Come on, you there? You, you, now we're talking life, right? I'm like, oh, dear God, oh, dear God, oh, dear God. He goes, I said, well, what's it going to take to fix it? He goes, oh, yeah, no, we won't even touch it. He said, we're gonna, he said, I, he said I'll refer you to another guy who does some of this kind of work at Dan's Automotive, and, uh, and, and the, the, the head of that, of, of that company is a guy named Francisco. And so he gave me the number, and I called Francisco. And as I'm calling Francisco, I'm like, Wait a minute. I'm a tither. Wait a minute. I'm serving God with all my heart, and, and, and we don't have no money. And so, so I get Francisco on the phone, and 
Francisco, I tell him what happened, and he goes, okay, well, I'll go pick it up. I said, now, Francisco, they're more than 90% sure that we've blown the head gasket. He goes, oh, that's not good. I said, no, no, I'm believing. Francisco, listen, let me explain something to you, bro. I'm a Christian. Actually, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, what church are you pastor? I'm like, church on the hill, but forget all about all that. Listen to me. We need a miracle. I said, Francisco, I'm going to believe. I know the radiator's bad. I'm believing that all it's going to be is a radiator. He goes, oh, okay. He said, well, how much did they say percentage that the head gas? I said, they said 9%. But don't listen to that, bro. I'm a Christian, okay? I'm God's man. And I believe in miracles. He's like, okay, pastor. (laughs) All right. And I said, listen, Francisco, how much is it going to be to fix it? He goes, well, if it's just the radiator, you know, below $500. I said, yes, 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 yes. And he says, but pastor, if it's the head gasket, it's going to be about $3,500, $3,600. I was like, ah. I said, Francisco, let's pray. <laughs> okay, pastor, <laughs> who is this guy? And I'm like, in the name of Jesus, I just declare right now the favor, the miracles of God that I am blessed. No, I didn't say that, but uh, God is... <laughs> I need your supernatural help to my stupidity, you know, and uh, and so and so I said, okay. I said, let me know. I said, don't. He goes, okay, okay. I said, now, Francisco, listen to me. We're believing for a miracle, <laughs> and I know he's thinking, like, dude, I'm not believing for a miracle because I need the $3,500 job. I don't need the $300 job. <laughs> you know, it's like, Francisco, we're believing for a miracle, bro. <laughs> and so, I'm trying to get his faith with my faith, anyway, and so uh, so. He has it for a couple days, and he didn't call me back. I finally called him. I said, Francisco, tell me, about, tell me what's happened. He goes, Pastor, you are not going to believe this. I said, what? <laughs> he said, Pastor, I put a radiator on it. He said, I've run all the tests. I don't know how this has happened. It's got to be a miracle because the head gaskets are not blown. Your engine is just fine. I was like, oh, 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 oh. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And so I'm like, see, God, oh, you're so good. So we go to a shop, you know, and we're standing there. I was like, I told you, bro. I told you, Francisco, God does miracles for his people. He's looking at me like, okay, all right now. I said, Francis, let's pray right now. I'm praying. Thank you, God, for the miracle. He's like standing there like, what has just happened in my shop, man? I get in the car and I go to drive off. He stops me. He goes, hey, no, one, no one's ever prayed in my shop. Thank you. I might come to your church. I'm like, hallelujah. I want you to know something. I'm sorry that people have misappropriated this teaching to make you feel manipulated, have have done it out of selfish ambition. Let let me tell you something. That's not my motivation. Can I tell you what my motivation is? I don't want to pastor disobedient people. That's my problem. Those of you that have raised kids... You know that one that you love so much versus the one you don't like? That's because one's obedient and one's disobedient. You love that kid. It's your kid. you got to love them. But, man, going and picking them up at the jail every other weekend and them stealing your car and all that stuff, you're like, oh, I love you because you're mine. Oh, but I'd like to stab you right now. That's my problem. I want to pastor people. I don't want to sit in the office and we're crying together because you've lost everything again. I, I don't want to sit there and cry with you because you don't have money to go do a mission strip. Be, because, because you have walked in disobedience for so long and you somehow want me to fix it. And I'm saying, but I can't fix it. 
because you're disobedient because this is his principles, not mine. We don't, I'm not doing this teaching to help get more money. I want you to live the American dream. I want to live the American dream. I want to pastor a group of people who are living the American dream. I want to hear about miracles every day of our life. I want to be a church that's active and alive. I don't want dead religion. I don't want to just talk about the Bible and hallelujah and we ought to be better. I want to see God fix our stupidity because we're trying our best to be obedient. That's what I want to live in. That's the church I want to pastor. That's the people I want to be friends with. And I want you to know, I'm not, that's not, so I'm not manipulating you in this. That's not my heart or my intention. My intention is to raise you up so that you can live the dream of God for your life. And it starts with obedience. It really does. And so let me just give you a couple thoughts. As we close out, I want to tell you this. So God understands that you and I can be apprehensive about this. So I want to quote, I want to give you a passage of scripture where he's struggling with Israel because of their disobedience. He's struggling with them. And a lot of times when preachers preach this, they really hone in and kind of beat you over the head with it. That's not what I want to do. I want to point out the precious part of this passage to me. But i got to read the whole thing so it makes sense. He says in verse 8 of Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 of Malachi chapter 3, it's on the screens. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. He says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the place of my people, the gathering of my people, that there may be food in my house. And then he says this, test me in this. He says, test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, supernatural power, that you will not have enough room to uh, contain it all. Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Come on, guys. Pests from devouring. Come on, you know you got those co-workers keep trying to get you fired. He's going to keep the pests from messing with your stuff. That's what he says. From devouring your And the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. They will cast everything you put your hand to. I'm going to bless it. It's going to work for you. You present a, a, a new thing at, at your job and they institute it. It's going to make the company thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm going to bless. See me. Test me, says. Verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. Can I tell you something? Listen. God says test him. He said, Pastor, I just struggle with this whole tithing and first fruit thing. One of the things I loved about your church is you didn't push on us and put pressure on us, and we never will. But I'm trying to teach you how to live the American dream, how to have life, liberty, and happiness. And most of that is tied to our finances. And when I go into the financial teaching, I can't get past the first fruits teaching. And so the obedience in that will cause the, bless, the supernatural power of God on all of our lives. And he says, for those of us that struggle, and I had struggled with this, he said, test me. Test me and see if I won't do this. Test me. Try it. Try it out. And I'd put that out to every one of you in this room. Six months, the next six months of your life, Tithe. Give a 10%. Put that tithing at the front of your list instead of at the bottom of your list. Don't be like Cain. If there's anything left over, you try to give it to him. Put it at the top and see by giving him his first fruits, see, test him, and see if his words are not true, that he will cause even the pest to get up off of your stuff. If he won't cause you to have more stuff, more blessing, that all of the nations rise up and say, how you driving that Mercedes? How you doing that? Man, we, God just keeps making a way. Our job, I, I, I got promoted. How 
How'd you get promoted? You didn't even go to college. God. Because I'm blessed. You're going to become one of those people. You're going to be walking around. I'm blessed. I'm just blessed because my God, I'm just stupid enough to obey. And he just honors that. In my 26 years of full-time ministry, let me just say this to you. I've never met a tither that says that they're struggling. At the same time in my 26 years, I've never met a non-tither, or excuse me, the non-tithers always tell me, I just don't have enough money, I can't afford to tithe. It's always the same story. The non-tithers tell me, I don't have enough to tithe. Why? Because they don't tithe. And the tithers always tell me, oh, Pastor, even when we went through all that and lost everything, we, we were just blessed. God just made a way. It's just crazy how things have happened for us. It's amazing. And he says, test me. Test me. Notice where we put this message in all of our series of messages. Our church right now, for the most part, we're great tithers. We're not hurting financially in this church. I'm not doing this to manipulate you because we're going into a building project and I need your money. I put this strategically right here so that you can't say, well, mm-hmm. mm, I know what he's doing. He's about to set us up. Didn't put it right before Christmas. Give your best gift. Put it right here in this series because I want you to have life, liberty, happiness. I don't want poverty control in your life. I want you to be able to take your kids to a Cowboys game. And say, baby, look at this. Isn't this fine? Yeah, daddy's never made a lot of money. But can you believe this? I can't believe that the owner of that company gave us these box tickets. Guys, my son. I, mean, I want to tell you about the story of my son. My son had never been to a high school basketball game. Had never been to a college basketball game. I'm just a little minister who's doing my best to serve God. We're tithers, Jamie and I. And a friend of ours says, hey. Would you like to go to the Mavericks basketball game? We said, sure. Okay, listen. Um, pick up the tickets up here at, at our office, and, uh, and, and there'll be some people. Uh, we're going to give some to some people you know, too, so you won't be by yourself. We said, okay. We show up. They take us to the suites. My son, I, I, I don't know, Cohen, what were you, about 10 or so at the time? Eight. To the suites. Have you ever been in a suite? They got all the food you could ever want. You just eat it. You don't have to pay nothing. You don't have to tip nobody. It's air conditioned. You got leather recliners. There's TVs all in the suite. Or then you walk out on the patio. And now you're in the stadium with everybody else. With the best seats. And you can see everything. While you have your own personal screens. And people coming around. Would you like some more hors d'oeuvres? Or would you like a little steak? Or a little filet mignon? My son, Cohen, Cohen thought, this is how you go to a basketball game. <laughs> he ain't never sat on them metal bleachers, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I wish this game would get over. He ain't never had popcorn spilled juice all down the back of him. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Why? Because God did that. I couldn't afford that. I don't have season passes, you know, in a sweet million-dollar suite a year, multi-million-dollar suites a year because our company pays for it. We're blessed blessed because we obey. I want the same thing for you. Stand with me all across the room. Thank you for your graciousness. If you're visiting with us today, I promise you we're not trying to get your money out of you.
We just want you to have the supernatural power of God flowing through your life. It comes through obedience. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? I want to minister to you. I know, and I'm so sorry for people who have manipulated this teaching in the past. I apologize on behalf of every minister who's done that. But that doesn't negate God's plans to do supernatural things in your life. And that our obedience brings that forward, releases that, and our disobedience holds that back. So as you stand here with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to I want you to talk to your God for a moment. I want you to hear his words out of his own holy scriptures resounding in your ear. Will I not pour you out a blessing to where even your barns are overflowing? To where the nations come and say you're blessed. I want you to understand something today. You're not worse than the wealthy businessman or woman. God doesn't like them more than he likes you. God loves you. He has plans to prosper you. He wants you to have life, liberty, and happiness. This nation was built on that. Those are holy principles out of his word. Holy desires that he wanted for all humanity. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, young, old. That's his plans that our founding fathers tapped into and wrote into our Declaration of Independence as the founding desires for every citizen of the United States. How much more for citizens of heaven, sons and daughters of the Most High. As you stand here with your head bowed and your eye closed, if you've struggled with tithing as a principle, as a... I tried to help you see some of the truths. I I tried to help you untie some of the lies about old covenant, new covenant stuff. I don't know if I did a great job or not, but I know that God loves you and God wants to do supernatural things in you. And so today, if you struggle with that, I want you just before the Lord to put him to the test. I want you to make covenant with the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this. I want you to give him six months. Have you been a faithful tither? You brought the first fruits, not not the end result. You didn't tithe after you saw that you had enough. But you brought your first fruits. If if you have that understanding, you've been living that way. Then I'm asking you now to begin to pray for the members of this church that have struggled with that teaching and struggled with that principle. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for a holy, holy interaction with you. That every man and woman in this room would have you speaking to them. Not the preacher. Not the sermonette. You, God. Lord, reveal to them how you protected them in times past. Show them how it's a miracle that they didn't get killed in that car accident. Show them how you were already working supernaturally to keep that marriage together. Lord, show them, remind them, oh God, how they were able to go on vacation when they didn't have any money a couple years ago. Remind them, oh God, how you broke the curse off of them when their family line has been impoverished and poor. Deliver them from thinking that it was their own strength that accomplished that, their education that they went and got how hard they worked. They could have easily had cancer and not been able to work. They could have easily not had opportunity to have the education. You were working all the time on their behalf. 
as you have your head bowed and your eye closed and you're just kind of interacting with the Lord, I want to give a call. It's very important to me anytime we gather that I give an opportunity for anyone who may be away from Jesus to come back home. If you're in this place today and you're not a Christian, or maybe you used to be a Christian but you walked away from the Lord, or just life happened and you're separated now, you're almost like divorced. I want you to know Jesus isn't mad. He's not angry. No, 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 no. He loves you. He wants you back. If you've never been a Christian, it's the Lord that's been pulling at your heart. Come on, you didn't come to church today not thinking that God was going to be there. So your heart is already tender towards Him. And today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you're not a Christian, in fact, think about it like this. If you were to die today, or you were going out and you got up at the big intersection up the road and the light turned green and you went to go through the intersection, but an 18-wheeler was coming the other way too fast, ran the red light, sideswiped your car, you're immediately killed. You stand before Jesus Christ. What will he say to you? If that were to happen today, what would he say? Would he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would he look at you with tears welling up in his eyes? Say, man, why didn't you, why didn't you respond? Why did you keep pushing me away? I mean, I had that little short preacher up at the church on the hill. He spit and spattered and did everything to get your attention. He just didn't want me. Why? Friend, don't let that be the conversation that happens on the moment that you die. If you're away from God today and you want to make Him the Lord of your life, I want to pray with you. You say, well, Pastor, what do I do? The Bible says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He'll cleanse you. He'll forgive you of all unrighteousness so that every head is bowed and every eye is closed right now. This is you. God is pointing you out. My words are penetrating your heart. It's really the Spirit of the Lord. And you realize you're away from God. You want to come home or you want to be a Christian for the first time. I want you to lift your hands if that's you and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I want to come back to God bless you, Spirit. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not a Christian. I want to get right with God. Thank you, ma'am. I'm away from the Lord, but I want to come home. God bless you, sweet love. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for your, thank you for your, I see you. God bless you. Anyone else? Pray for me, Pastor. I don't want to live like this anymore. It's time to change. I want you. I see your hand. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Put it back down. Give you about three more seconds. So I, I'm not leaving here like this, Pastor. I'm a, I want Jesus in my life. I'm ready, I'm ready to make that commitment to, to God. I want to make Jesus my best friend. Anyone else? Give you just a couple more seconds. One, two, three. God bless you, sweet love. You can put your hand down. Now today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Those that lifted your hand. There's nothing magical about the words. What's supernatural is that God just tugged at your heart and you responded. The prayer is just simply a period at the end of the sentence to seal what's already happening inside of you, what God's already been orchestrating and working on. And so today, if you lifted your hand, I want you to mean this prayer that we're about to pray together. I want you to repeat it after me. In fact, I want everyone in the audience to pray with these who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, come out loud. Jesus, today, I give you my life. I surrender. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of living like this. I ask you now, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Put a new heart inside of me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In front of everybody, I declare, Jesus is my Lord. Say it again. Jesus is my Lord. Write my name in your book of life because I'm going to serve you forever in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand, who prayed that prayer, who meant that with all of their heart. May they right now sense, right now, your forgiveness. May they know right now in their knower that it's happening. Like, like 
like hot wax just melting away all the pain, all the anger, all the guilt. And Lord, may the smile of God come upon their face as they know they're forgiven. That they can leave here today. It's right. It's okay. And Lord, I know they've got questions like, well, what if I go back to doing drugs? And, and, and what if I mess up again? Father, just alleviate that fear. Let them know that sanctification is a process. A little bit at a time. They're going to grow in you. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to sin just like I do and everyone else in here does. But from this point forward, they're yours. They belong to you. You're their God. May they never lose that. May they never lose that. In Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted amen and amen.